the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Jesse Gestand. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gestand. Yes, and I am glad to be with you today on this Monday edition of Lifeline. Happens to be September 18th, 2017, well into the new school year for those of you who are parents with children in in school here. And it appears to be that we have settled down in some of our erratic weather over the last several days, um, if you might say so yourself. Today was a really nice day. Uh, wasn't too muggy, sunny, and uh, very tempered. Uh, some have said that we might experience here shortly a an extended summer. Not sure about that. But I will say this as we open up the program. My, your host, Jesse Gistin, that's who I am. You are who you are. Uh, and the number is one 367 We can open the phone lines now for conversations that... Uh, should be stimulating, interesting, uh, challenging, and and hopefully theologically sound, if not uh, socially relevant, with regards to where we are in the world. Um, I was reflecting upon the the recent hurricanes and storms that our own state has experienced. Our own states, not us, but uh, the United States, with regards to. Um, Florida and Texas, Houston, uh, to be particular, and parts of Florida as well, and the devastations that have occurred, having no sense of any unusual or hyper prophetic connotations about that on my part. I'm, I'm very much settled with the fact that the Lord has plainly said these things will occur. They don't have any, um, uh, extra special um, sort of prophetic implications, uh, earthquakes in diverse places, uh, anomalies of all sorts, um, along with all of the social chaos and social destabilization that our world is constantly not only experiencing, but talking about. Uh, I'm often thinking about uh, the uh, program previous to this one with Jay Seculo. And their extensively involved participation in politics and therefore the global world. And uh, and war is imminent. War is constant. War is prevalent. And it can jade you. It can distract you. It can cause a whole lot of things. What then is really the, the task of the believer in this world? What is it? Uh, what is your job in mind relative to... Uh, dealing with an environment where there is constant tossing to and fro of the social masses, uh, political, political or philosophical, rather, uh, ideologies that are operating on a dialectical level, constantly uh, challenging one another. And, and even those like the waves of the sea, they come in as popular and go out as unpopular. They come back in later on as popular. Right now, I'm reading through. Uh, a number of the scientific arguments that have had to be uh, reestablished concerning the so-called flat earth theory that people are buying into all over the world and especially Christians, which goes to tell us that we don't really spend a whole lot of time establishing uh, the concrete principles of, of, of science relative to um, to our physical world uh, to, 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 to dissuade even any lengthy conversation around the kind of pseudoscience or pseudo observation or pseudo uh, uh, ideologies like a flat earth theory that is being uh, propelled once again, probably mostly on the Internet. But from time to time, I run across a person who is sincerely asking, you know, is the earth flat? When all the uh, just empirical evidence that you see, let alone the uh, the scientific uh, theories that have penetrated into 
the unseen forces behind um, our equator and our gravity and uh, its relationship to the sun and the moon, the solar system, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, notwithstanding all of the micro adjustments that are necessary, because the more we learn, uh, the more we have to adjust on a number of levels. But just thinking through why it would be that a person would uh, somehow think that the planet is flat uh, when their own experience uh, doesn't say that uh, when they look at just the spherical nature of our planet relative to the horizon, relative to the rising of the sun and the setting of the sun as we observe it. Uh, something spherical and circular is happening every 24 hours and then uh, every month and then every year and obviously uh, hundreds of years and thousands of years that tells us that the idea of a flat earth theory is just utterly and totally incongruent. But what is that all about really for me other than the overload of internet information, fake news on uh, tons of levels that uh, that once again distract the people of God uh, because the people of God are not grounded often in the rudiments and in the fundamentals of, of life so that those questions can be only looked at from a humorous standpoint. Um, and so, yeah, how do you how do you deal with a world where you are bombarded with information of all sorts uh, and the vast majority of that information uh, stands over against uh, a lot of uh, the theology and morality and ethics uh, working concurrently through a gospel worldview, a biblical worldview? Uh, contrary to what you are called to believe from God. How do you how do you work through it? Do you just assume uh, that it's going to be all right? Or do you spend a little time in your own world striving to uh, to put together an epistemology for yourself? Striving to put together uh, a body of, uh, of, of of facts so that you can uh, know what you know, what you know, even if uh, you know people disagree with it, oppose you, even challenge you. You still have to know something. You can't not know anything and then be confident uh, in your uh, relationship with God. For, so for believers, I think we have to be careful these days with all the information and data out there not to be distracted from the tree of life by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is uh, the basic matrix that we're in since the fall. Uh, We seem to appeal to just news, 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 information, information, information for information's sake and news sake versus for the building upon the truth of God in our own life and those corresponding truths uh, that affirm reality as we know it experientially. Um, So the word of God would speak to creation and the word of God would speak to humanity and the word of God would speak to the universe and the word of God would speak to the beginning and the process and the end of time. And so it is completely sufficient to give you a framework by which you can test theories and ideas and assumptions, assertions and propositions that come your way, even when they come through the media with that strange ory music in the background always kind of a giveaway when you're dealing with fake news and somebody trying to persuade you with uh with new information to expose the world <clears throat> and our government for never having uh, ever gone to the moon and never ever having uh really uh taken pictures of the real earth the right way out from outer space and all of the stuff you get I'm, it's so funny I'll Get these clips out going, and immediately the music behind the 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 uh, format is, and then sometimes the voice is uh, altered to sound like uh, something like that, and it's very monotone. And you're supposed to be able to take that serious because you're now being given data, data, new information. And uh, many of the theologians of old have made it very plain that uh, if it's new, it's probably um, wrong (laughs) because there's very few things that are new. uh, That is to say, absolutely and brand new that doesn't correspond with some fundamental truth that we have always had from the beginning of time. Our God would have been sufficiently uh, gracious as his disposition of nature is to even in the rudimental and in the sort of primal knowledge base that mankind was given to uh, give us a knowledge base that did reflect the truth as minimal as that truth might have been propositionally to us uh, as we build upon an awareness of our universe and our world and the God who made it 
uh, those truths continue to develop line upon line, precept upon precept, um, principle upon principle to affirm the fundamental truths without any sort of um, crisis alteration that would basically tell us to throw God out of the window and call him dead as Nietzsche did and, um, and others as well in the uh, pre-Enlightenment and Enlightenment era. Here we are in the 21st century, and Daniel said very plainly, that knowledge would increase and people would run to and fro. And the statement there in the book of Daniel is that knowledge increasing would not stabilize people more, but destabilize them more to and fro running is the idea of being unstable, not grounded, uh, not clear. That's what we are in this existentialist society. Ladies and gentlemen, men and women are actually raising the question in the highest uh, centers of learning in our world as to whether or not we really exist. Existentialism is the radical philosophical idea that uh, that we cannot really know anything. All of our knowledge is just assumption. That's what will happen with knowledge overload when it's not rooted in the truth. And scripture plainly says, and this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, John 17, 3, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And Christ said to himself in John chapter 8, verse 31, if you are my disciples, you will continue in my word and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What biblical truth, the theological truth does is it doesn't pour into your brain all of the uh, analogy of truth and the facts of truth relative to what can be known, but it does give you facts that you do need to know to keep you uh, spiritually and morally as well as ethically. And I think also rationally and therefore emotionally on a good trajectory of life where you are considered sound. You don't have to go off on the deep end by all of this crazy stuff that's going on in our world. The sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, where the sound words of the prophets are worthy of regarding. Listen to this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, will not we fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Salah, blow the trumpet, let us know we're going to the next stanza. There is a river, the streams whereof make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High God. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her and that right early. The heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. Doesn't it sound like what's going on in our world today? The heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come. Another stanza. Salah. Come behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he hath made in the earth. The psalmist is plainly laying out that a sovereign God is running these matters and that there are two realities taking place at the same time. The reality of the people of God in a firm foundation where a city whose builder and maker is God, a habitation of peace and stability, spiritually speaking and socially speaking, when we adhere to God's word over against a society that is like the sea being tossed to and fro and the mountains being removed and cast into the midst of the sea. This is the collapse and the chaos that occurs when a secular society abandons God and therefore abandons rationale and, and are given over to the destabilization that definitely is evident by our society today. So what would I say as we get ready to take a break? I do have three lines open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I think it's Psalm fifty, uh, not Psalm, but Isaiah fifty seven twenty one. The wicked are like the troubled sea, tossed to and fro, like the waves of the sea. They can have no rest. And yet the Lord Jesus said in John sixteen thirty three, <clears throat> "Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In me, you have peace. In the world, you have tribulation." but you can be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And so for the man or the woman that really wants to place the feet of their soul on a solid foundation, 
by the Spirit of God through the gospel, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I will be able to have that foundation of, of joy and righteousness and peace that comes from God alone. Three lines open, one 888 love to hear your questions or your comments about what's going on in our world today uh, or something relevant to our edification as the people of God. See what we can make out of our program today. Uh, you're listening to the Monday edition of Lifeline. Your host, Jesse Giston. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. And we're back 523 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Three lines open if you want to call and chat and talk. You got a question and observation you want to make about what's going on in our world today. Um, you certainly are welcome to do that. one 367 1-888-367-5329. Three lines are open. Let's talk with Susie in San Jose. Susie, what is your question or comment or observation? Hi, uh, my question, uh, well, first, thank you for your ministry and your radio program. Thank um, you. I have um, been in a couple Bible studies recently where um, two different people had said that they don't pray out loud ever. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I am used to being around people who English is not their first language, they pray in their home language, but I've never had people whose English is their first language say they never pray out loud. And I was just wondering if there was anything, like, if that's like, if it's, I mean, obviously between them and God, but is there anything in the Bible where it says we do, like when we're in groups, because this is a big Bible study, and I wasn't sure if there was something in the Bible, if the Bible touches on that or not, um, no. if that's biblical or not. You know, that's that's kind of a private private judgment uh, statement that they made that they are well within their rights to state. Um, it is un- it's unusual in the sense in this sense, Susie, that there should be times if we are active Christians and engaged in ministry at the spectrum level of life. That is to say, if we're not isolated and living in catacombs or living in uh, monasteries, and even in the monastery, you still kind of have a fellowship. And so, among your fellow monks um, or our coventries, among your fellow nuns, you would be praying uh, together, even if the world didn't hear you, somebody should be audibleizing prayers. Uh, what I would say is that it, it, it's not it's not biblical in the sense it's maybe not uh, not something that we have a direct uh, mandate to do or not to do. But in the scriptures, you're going to find from Genesis to Revelation, vocal and audible prayers from the people of God to God, uh, vocal prayers on the part of uh, one individual to God. Uh, uh, Jacob, um, Abraham talking to God, uh, and no one has to be around. In other words, it doesn't require uh, other ears for us to be praying to God and speaking out loud with our own voice. Um, And so you're going to see that as a pattern through Scripture. Obviously, one of the greatest examples of this is Nehemiah chapter 8, where Nehemiah has the whole uh, group of uh, recovered, uh, restored um, uh, Jews uh, gathered together around the Word of God, and and prayer was made audibly and out loud, and the people of God were repenting and crying out for mercy, et cetera, et cetera, and then as well rejoicing. So you see that all through the Scriptures. The Psalms are riddled with the imperative as well as the uh, uh, model and framework as to how to pray as a people of God to God uh, out loud. It does indicate, too, as I have been recently talking to the saints over our weekly uh, Wednesday Bible study, which is over now, a summer Bible study in the Psalms. The Psalms encourages the people of God to give glory to God with their lips. And we do it in singing. We do it in proclamation. And certainly we should do it in prayer. Uh, somewhere on planet Earth, the unbeliever, uh, the skeptic, uh, should be seeing the people of God in a posture of prayer, uh, speaking to God, either individually or in groups. It was Hannah in uh, 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2 that was seen uh, visibly praying to God uh, by um, by the priest Elkanah. And so you, you don't have any Bible that would discourage it. However, the Lord Jesus did say in Matthew's Gospel chapter 5, No, chapter six, do not be like the Pharisees who love to pray in the public to be seen of men. 
He did say yeah. don't do that. He did say don't blow your trumpet out loud with the one objective for people to remunerate you are to uh, reciprocate by saying how wonderful a prayer that was, how good you pray and all of those sorts of things. He says you have received your reward if it's not to God as a primary objective. And so maybe that person is either taking a passage like that and saying, okay, this is a good way for me to actually uh, maintain my own fundamentally intrinsic, uh, you know, character, which is uh, some people have a hard time, Susie, uh, talking Mm -hmm. publicly, let alone praying out loud publicly. So that might be the drive. And that will simply be kind of a a personal private judgment thing that really is not mandated in Scripture. Okay. Does that help? That's so. Yeah, that does a lot. It was just like, it was, uh, I said, well, it's between you and God, because I didn't know them very well, so I'm not going to be like, oh my gosh, it's not biblical. I was like, that's between you and God, so I'm good with that. that, That's absolutely true. That's true, but did they (laughs) come off, did they, they didn't come off as if they were, um, they were uh, discouraging public prayer, did they? No, they okay. just said that they didn't. They like I, when they're like in my quiet time, I pray quietly to myself. I don't see why I need to do it, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> no, that that that. Well, there's a virtue there in the sense that um, there is that prayer that takes place from the heart, and it ought to take place from the heart, whether we audibleize it or not. And I'm sure you agree with that. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Thanks. I, I do. I did have a second question. Sure. Possible. Sure. <laughs> I'm sorry. Don't worry. This one is actually a little more important, but um, so I. I was recently talking with a friend's grandfather mm-hmm. and, who's not a believer. Mm-hmm. And I've been little conversations here and there. And and this time I asked straight out, like, what do you need as evidence to believe? And he basically said that the only way he's going to believe that God exists is, is if he brings his wife who has passed away back to life. And I was just wondering, when someone makes that kind of statement, how do you respond? Because it basically shuts it down. I don't didn't know how to respond. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if you had any suggestions. Right. Well, a couple things, first and foremost. So he's speaking from an emotional place of a vacuum in his heart, grieving that his wife is gone, right? <clears throat> yes. Right. So from an emotional perspective, uh, immediately we will concur with that disposition and say, I understand that would uh, that would certainly be personally satisfying for him to be able to have that kind of experience. But that doesn't actually requisite or, um, or or assure that faith in God would be produced in his heart at all. Uh, the scriptures are plain in Luke chapter 16. The rich man goes to hell. He actually goes to hell as the Lord Jesus is laying out the scenario between Lazarus and the rich man. And the rich man says to Abraham, Abraham, if you will uh, send Lazarus back, let Lazarus rise from the dead. Go back and tell my five brothers uh, (laughs) that this place is real and not to come here. Uh, And then Lazarus, uh, Abraham, rather, uh, in the voice of the Lord Jesus, who gave that narrative, said, no, um, if they do not believe the scriptures, neither will they believe if someone comes back from the dead. So that kind of qualifier on the part of your grandfather is simply ignorance, meaning uh, he would not believe just because his wife came back from the dead. If that's what the Lord said, and he did in Luke 16, you can read it for yourself. Uh, what the Lord is saying there is faith does not come by miracles and signs and uh, phenomena of that nature. Faith only comes by the word of God actually being planted in a person's heart coupled with the working of the spirit of God to give life to that person's soul where they begin to see the truth of that proposition. So what you and I want to do for our loved ones who don't believe in God is at first hope and pray that an opportunity for them to hear the gospel has either already occurred or will occur. That's one thing because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Secondly, that upon them having heard the gospel, we simply pray that God would be pleased to prosper that gospel in their heart because that's the only way without faith. uh, It is impossible to please God. And apart from faith, uh, your dad and mine will not experience um, access into the kingdom of God. So do you know if your dad has heard the gospel, your granddad? Um, it's my friend's grandfather. Okay. And um, yes, um, right. his family makes sure that he goes to church. They take him to church and stuff. Okay. So he, 
goes okay. to church. He's active in the church. He goes to the men's men's like stuff like that. Got it. So he is. He is. They and uh, I'm very grateful that they're doing that because right. he may not be my grandfather, but he, I don't have my grandparents alive anymore. So he's almost become like a grandfather to me. And Absolutely, and I I, I love I care about him. So. Yeah, and I care about old people too. I, I'm you know let me I care about them too as well because you know they've done a lot to contribute to our being here on a ton of levels, and then they have to exit this world shortly if all things are equal. And we want them to be able to land in glory instead of in the dark place of separation from God for all eternity. But here's what I would say to you, as I say to a lot of people who ask me this question or the nature of it. Uh, We're halfway home, Susie. For them to be under the hearing of the gospel is the most auspicious, the most gracious, the most um, advantaged place that a person can be, notwithstanding their resistance to its claims, because all it takes is the spark of the spirit of God to inflame the truth propositions that are lodged in their mind uh, as the thief on the cross so uh, powerfully experienced. So you and I have but to pray that God would be pleased to quicken in him that word he has already heard. Um, that's that's our uh, joyful task as believers. Lord, you have spoken to him your word. Now make the word effectual in his heart and his life so that I can see him when I depart from this life. Blessings. I got to take a break. Three lines are open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Viola, you hold on. I'll get to you. Three lines are open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I really do love to talk about these kinds of very sensitive issues that Susie just brought up relative to um, uh, loved ones either passing already or on the brink of passing because we really do need to have a sound uh, answer for our own soul relative to these these very challenging and difficult questions. They have to be biblical, however, if we are going to be representing the God of our salvation. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. Two lines are open, one triple eight, three rather. Three lines are open, one triple eight, three six seven five three two nine. Love to hear from you. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. And we are back at the time, 539 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Two lines open, one 329 Let's go to line number two and talk with Viola in Hayward. Viola, what is your question, comment, or observation for us today? Oh, good evening, uh, Pastor Gustan. How are uh, you? Thank you for giving us a biblical perspective on issues that affects us all. Mm-hmm. Uh, my question is about immigration, illegal immigration mm-hmm. that is going on now. Um, I'm an immigrant myself. Mm-hmm. So, but I don't understand what is the biblical uh, perspective on illegal immigration? Because I'm, I'm not sure why, if you're illegal, it's okay. I mean, some people thinking that, well, you shouldn't send anybody out of the United States. You should just leave them here. So I'm kind of, like, confused. It's like if there's a law, there's immigration law, and there's a way to be, you know, to do it right, and if you don't do it right, does that mean that, you know, it's okay? Right. No, it's not. It's not okay. (laughs) Now, there are complexities, Viola, to... Uh, to life in general and circumstances and events, complexities, meaning that things are not as simple <clears throat> as they often might appear. Let's say, for instance, an individual uh, crosses the border uh, from Mexico into Texas, San, Ant- San Antonio-wise, and they uh, they clearly see the signs that prohibit that, that they should uh, come through customs and, and make everybody aware that uh, they are there either visiting um, or they want uh, an asylum uh, for some reason. And of course, America accepts all sorts of people from all parts of the world under many circumstances. It's not that our uh, our laws or our Constitution has basically banned people from coming to America. That's part of the kind of exaggerated and twisted narrative we get in the news. People can come. They can visit. They can come with the uh, expectation of the possibility of becoming a citizen through the long route of the front door. They apply for citizenship. They get temporary visas. And uh, they can be here on educational visas, work visas permits, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of ways to do it for them to come 
in, but they don't. And as such, when they come in in uh, an unconstitutional uh, and law unlawful way, it is a transgression of our laws. And this no society in the world, Viola, would survive if it just opened its borders ad hoc without any kind of framework for determining who's coming in and why our society would be destroyed as we know it. If everybody poured into America uh, anonymously unannounced and in any way they should Uh, Romans 13, if you're asking for a sort of biblical passage and there are many based upon different uh, circumstances have been that have been rendered in the scriptures around it. But Romans 13 says, let every soul verse one, let every soul be subject to the higher powers for there's no power, but of God, the powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resists the power or authority, exousia, uh, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves, uh, the damnation that is just for rulers are not a terror unto, uh, good works, but to evil. Will you then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and you shall have praise of the same. So for the Christian, this is the newest um, sort of mandate given by God. It had been repeated over and over and over in the Old Testament when God brought Israel out of Egypt and was traveling them through the wilderness to go into the promised land. He plainly said, you shall have one law for the people of God in Israel and one law for the stranger. You shall not have two laws. That is to say, if the stranger wants to come into a Palestine, into the regions and real estate of Israel, uh, they have to come through the judiciary and they have to come through in a manner that corresponds with the laws of the local regions through which they come Uh, They didn't just get to come any kind of way they want to, nor did they get to come and remain uh, uh, identified with their previous country so as to create balkanized groups as we are beginning to experience here in America. They were to come and to assimilate because if a country is going to be strong, if it's really going to be strong, It has to have an assimilation process where everybody has the same idea of the laws, the rules, the regulations, and a constitutional agreement. This is why uh, we pledge allegiance to the flag when we come from different countries into America, because we are swearing that we are not here to divide or to conquer or to destroy. But uh, this conversation that you and I are having right now, Viola, it's ideological. It is philosophical. It is historically rooted in the uh, constitutional principles and the, uh, the, the amendments, the Bill of Rights, but in practice, it doesn't exist. And this is why we have the chaos in our world right now, including in America, because our own legislators and our own uh, politicians um, are operating from a philosophy uh, that is rooted in a kind of liberal socialism, postmodernism, existentialism, yeah. all all terms that have to do with betraying the fundamental rights that are rooted in our Constitution. What that means is uh, they are actually anti-constitutional in many ways. They know what it says, but they don't do what it says because politics, Viola, is about numbers. And when you have more people in your district that you can persuade by giving them promises of blessings and material acquisition and resources from the government trial, uh, all for free, just because they're here, then um, what you have done is you have paid for your office at the expense of hardworking citizens who came through the front door have every right to be here. Uh, and and now uh, the only way that these people who are coming in this way can survive is on the tax dollars that we pay into the system. This is called inequity and injustice. And this is why our society is collapsing as we speak, Viola. This is the reason why our society is collapsing, because without a society being a just society, in a righteous society, in a society of laws, without righteousness, without justice. Now, justice does incorporate mercy. It does incorporate compassion. It does incorporate empathy and sympathy, but it cannot do it at the abrogation or setting aside of law. And so this is the problem that we're having. Our politics have run amok. The way that this is going to be fixed 
Your question is really good, by the way. The way this is going to be fixed is uh, either by uh, the citizenry waking up to the ramifications of this run amok system and outing, uh, uh, removing from office every Benedict Arnold, every person that's betraying the constitutional principles and place in people who who know how to execute justice and righteousness, along with a mercy and compassion that is rooted in justice and fairness. Uh, what's what if we don't have that kind of political uh, turnaround, then the only other thing that's going to turn it around, Viola, is war and chaos in America, war and chaos, which you already are seeing the sort of uh, uh, harbinger of with all of these protests and hostilities and conflicts on the ground <laughs> among the Burgiels, among the common people, as uh, Marx would call them. They are with their pitchforks and their holes and rakes uh, going at each other uh, because we don't have a common law as a basis for our uh, communal harmony. I think you understand okay. what I'm saying. Yes, sir. Um but if we have a constitution, American constitution, how could, how could a state decide that, okay, uh, California would be a sanctuary city? Yes, and, uh, and, San Francisco, okay. right? San, San Francisco, Francisco. Not, not California, but parts of California, yep. Correct. Yeah, so but how can you have a constitution that says something different? Right, and, right. You're smart. So, You're smart. You, you got it. I, you know, it's a rhetorical question. Uh, in in fact of matter, you're right though, and 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 here's the part of it. You're a believer in Christ, right? Yes, sir. Right. So so you and I have a constitution. You know what it's called? Mm-hmm. The Bible. Yes, sir. That's our constitution. That's that's how we work out our salvation in fearing trembling as we honor the true and the living God and his son, Jesus Christ, whom he has sent as a spirit guides us into truth. Uh, we have a constitution, the Bible. Um, if we went about overtly opposing biblical truth uh, and called ourselves Christians, we would be uh, her- heretical, heretical uh, hypocrites worthy of damnation. And so when our politicians are adopting policies like a sanctuary uh, uh, city, uh, contrary to the Constitution, albeit it's more complex than that with our three branches of office to talk about it, um, what they are doing is militating against our constitutional rights under the assumption that they are more sympathetic and empathetic than the Constitution inherently is. And so as a consequence, we have to go to the Supreme Court. We, we, we get laws passed. Hey, we want this to be a sanctuary city. And the next thing you know, um, we are living in a set of contradictions against our Constitution. And we've been doing that for a long time in our country, Viola. Uh, it's the dirty little secret. The Constitution is paid little attention to either in the legislative branch, the judicial branch, or even in the executive branch. And this is why for us, the process of politics in our country becomes the uh, most important factors, whether or not a liberal gets in or a conservative, because we're being tossed to and fro. Because we are not obeying our laws. That's why we are tossed to and fro. It's not the laws inherent in themselves. It's our disobedience to the coherency of the constitutional principles because we have different ideas and different goals. Yes. Yes, thank you. Blessings. I've got to take a break. Jim, you hold on. We've got three lines open. one 367 Notwithstanding, because I can hear it, notwithstanding all the arguments that, you know, white folks shouldn't be here in the first place. Uh, Europeans shouldn't be here in the first place. Got all that. Got all that. That's not what Viola was asking about. She's talking about a constitution that is the premise and basis for what uh, determines and defines who we are as a nation now. Uh, We can go back before that and talk about how we, you know, got here. I would definitely not have a problem with that conversation. But now that we're here, uh, what works best? A constitutional society? based upon principles that are rooted in a justice and righteousness that does equitably deal with uh, with the downtrodden and the needy through a process of righteousness? Or is this all about mob rule, uh, a postmodern uh, uh, sort of uh, response to Marxist philosophical argument of the proletariat and the, and, and the ruling classes? Because uh, if you're going to want to go that route, it's all downhill from here. Um, we got a lot to do. 
and a lot to learn and a lot to uh, deal with as Viola is intimating by her question. Again, two lines open, one 367 I'd love to hear from you. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. And we are back. The time is 5.56. This hour is almost up. one 367 one Let's go to Dave in Walnut Creek on line number three. Dave, what is your question, comment, or observation, sir? Oh, hi, uh, Pastor Jesse. I'm sorry, I didn't know I was coming up this quickly here. So. No, no problem. Anyway, um, uh, let's see, uh, a couple things on um, the... Well, a couple of one issue I had was about uh, death, um, but before that, I wanted to comment on the last caller, or the one of the previous callers that was talking about constitutional. I don't, I don't think that uh, any of our legislators these days are doing much regarding the Constitution. Maybe even I'd say possibly even eighty, ninety percent of the so-called you know laws and codes and statutes and that kind of silly stuff is passed. It's, unconstitutional. Yep, I would um, agree. Uh, I, I don't know about the percentage, but I certainly would know that they aren't paying any attention to a constitutional framework by which they um, formulate laws yeah. and implement them. I mean, as, far, as far as the United States Constitution of America is concerned, yeah, they're not, they're not, I mean, this it's ridiculous, you know, anything that uh, has to do with uh, restriction on, you know, if I, if I want to be here and say, you know, if I want to be homeless, I'll be homeless and and uh, you know, if I, you know, you can't tell me. I, I mean, basically, I I have the right to be left alone. If I decide to do something, you know, to my neighbor and harm him, that's a different story. You know, there's laws for that. You know, I'm not supposed to put a harm on my neighbor and that kind of thing. But but if I, I nobody can tell me to do anything, um, as far as constitutional law is concerned, as far as the way I understand it, um, as long as I'm not doing harm to my neighbor or violating the the, those few laws that the government is supposed to. Um, well, so you're protect. sounding you're sounding like a um, you're sounding. This is not a pejorative, but do you can so you can affirm me. You're sounding like either a uh, a classical liberal, which is not a bad thing. I'm talking about historic classical liberal, um, um, an individual who understands the the virtues and benefits of a proper inter- interpretation of the Constitution that renders men uh, right to private judgment, private property, uh, privacies at levels that uh, you know un- uniquely nobody on planet Earth has ever had. And uh, probably won't. Uh, but as a uh, uh, as a uh, liberal in the classical sense of liberalism, uh, with with a high view and premium on uh, you know personal rights and things of that nature, the complexity of that, uh, Dave, is simply that uh, a nation itself, if it becomes too complex and overloaded with responsibilities, it is necessarily going to impose itself upon you. So I, I, the same thing that I said to Viola is that a lot of the ideals of the uh, founding fathers were idealistic. And as they did say, if you can keep the republic, keep the republic. If you can't, uh, you're going to end up losing it to uh, to tyranny. Uh, and, and that's probably where we're headed. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're, we've already lost it, I believe. You know, and I, I don't know if I, I I certainly wouldn't say, oh, I'm, a, I'm not a liberal, you know, by any degree compared to what today's standards of liberalism. Is yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. But I do have a. I do have a respect for a classical liberal who understands that yeah. God has ordained yeah. us to walk at levels of yeah. freedom. Yeah. 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 And I, I, I would call it a person like a Ron Paul, a libertarian yeah. Yeah. type of person. You know, yeah. absolutely. Because you know, he's saying, hey, you know, you know, if, if, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a Christian believer, and yeah. I, I, I know I'm born again by the Lord Jesus Christ. But, right. but I, I do believe that, hey, we have laws on the books already, and they're pretty simple. It's yep. not that complicated. You know, maintain the borders, maintain the courts, yep. and leave people alone. Exer- let people exercise their rights. Yep. You know, there's none of this registration, all this other crap that's going on. Con- you know, codes, all that. But you know, I'm, that's pretty radical by uh, anybody that I talk to today that doesn't understand that. Especially um, in the 21st, anyway, especially in the 21st century. No, I do want you to give me your uh, render your second observation or question, but just for the yeah, sake of the yeah, audience and I education, on, I should get on with that. I'm sorry, but no, anyway, no, 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 Dave. You know, my, my 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 primary um, <clears throat> that concerns these days are, are are concerns. What am I saying? My primary um, my brain. I'm like. Thinking about twenty things at once. Um, the the the, the um, let's see. Okay, about death and yeah. and saying okay, 
um, I know a, a couple of scriptures in the Bible. I'm not a. I, I need to read more. Simply, I really do. I or do or do more things. research because right now with technology being as um, as prolific as it is, the availability to take a topic like death and pan through um, the resources yeah. that are available in the internet can can grow you exponentially. So don't 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 beat yourself down about reading. It's just that when it's okay. time to deal with a topic, I discipline. I tell a lot of people to discipline yourself this way. I don't. I don't search everything out only search out what I'm interested in at the moment. I'm, I'm not trying to be some kind of paragon of knowledge because I'd waste my life to do that. Only search out things when I'm compelled to know. Um, and, and, yeah. and I'm glad to be in the 21st century with all the resources that we have to do it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it, 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 you know, I think we're ordained at the time of, to be here by the Lord, obviously we're yeah. created at a certain time and I'm going, man, it's a crazy world we live in. Um, and I, I, I need to do a lot more research, I believe, but, but mm-hmm. anyway, I'm repeating myself, but anyway, so, um, so, okay. So my, my concerns are, okay. Um, my, my question is, I guess, um, okay. I just, Two verses that I know of in the Bible offhand is when the you know the um, when Jesus was on the cross with the two thieves on either side, and and he said okay um, the one guy repented and he said okay to you know verily verily I say to you today you will be with me in paradise and when he said Jesus remember me in your kingdom today you will be with me in paradise and then the other one is an uh, Apostle Paul saying um, was that one uh, absent from the body present with the Lord Correct. so I have. Um, people that I run into, uh, friends and such, that are asking questions like, uh, you know, to me and other people, and also to, you know, I'm asking a question to a pastor, and and and, and saying, it, it, do, when people die, do they fall asleep for a little while, and then, or, or I mean, and or it, 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 are they immediately present with the Lord, which I'd like to believe, I mm-hmm. believe that's probably more the case, that mm-hmm. you're in the presence of the Lord as soon as you pass mm-hmm. from this uh, life on to, you know, to be with Him. And then later He will, when He comes back, He will resurrect those uh, bodies and and people, um, you know, to become glorified bodies yep. and be with Him Yep. Forever in heaven, yep. you know. So I'm I'm really perplexed by all this kind of stuff. I'm mm-hmm. like, ah, I'm, you know, with life in general going crazy and this and that and everything. And to be honest, my my mom just passed. Yeah. Um, she lived a long life, but she passed a, um, a while back there uh, mm-hmm. recently, mm-hmm. and she she lived a long, awesome life. She had dementia and all that. But anyway, she was in her 90s. Wow. So I praise God for that and the time I had with her. Right. But but so it it kind of com- compelled me with me and my other siblings to kind of ask these questions myself, as well as other people I run into and talk to, and trying to be a witness for Christ, which, you know, now I realize they get older, hey, we, you know, my life is, what is my life about? Is it about, you know, that kind of thing, witnessing to people and, and sharing the gospel of Christ with people? And that's what it's about, right? I mean, we're, you know, so anyway, I'm going off on all these tangents, but it's okay. so I was wondering what your, your perspective right. of <clears throat> so is. yeah. Yeah, I, let me share it with yeah. you. First of all, I sympathize with your the loss of your. Uh, was that your grandmother? Oh, my mother. Actually. Okay, your mother. Yeah. Okay, she, how old was she? Yeah, ninety-two. Uh, awesome, wonderful. Um, yeah. I've had, I've had, yeah. I had the privilege this year uh, of of uh, burying. Um, loved ones up in their late nineties as well. And it's a, it's a, it's a real humbling, but joyful thing, particularly when they are believers. Let me say this, Dave, and I got to take a break. So I, you are on the right track as a Protestant Bible believing Christian. Okay. I'm going to use that terminology only because of my awareness of the larger, uh, um, sort of Christendom expressions around the world. And, and in outside of the parameters of scrub Christianity would be a Hindus, Buddhist, uh, and, right. uh, and, 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 and professing believers of all ilk that are listening to the program now, Mormons, uh, Jehovah Witnesses, et cetera, et cetera, tons of people who have all sorts of different views. Uh, and, and one other thing I'm working on right now, and I'm just going to say it, either we're going to be a biblicist where we actually believe what the Bible teaches 
or we're not. If we if we subject ourselves to extra biblical data around things that are truly spiritual in nature and relative to the world of theology uh, um, uh, in terms of uh, origin, purpose, and uh, and destiny, the, if we're biblical Christians, here is the fact of the matter. If you are unsaved, if you die unsaved, you are uh, consigned to a, a place of conscious, aware torment, conscious, cognitive torment that is called Hades uh, can be expanded on. I don't have time for it. But for the believer, the reward of the believer upon the resurrection of Christ is that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse eight. And as the apostle Paul put it very plainly, he says, for me to live uh, is Christ and for me to die is gain. And so there is an immense reward of immediacy on the part of every believer in Christ who dies. And that is to be in the presence of God in that ultimate spiritual sense, as you stated, only awaiting the finished finishing of God's redemptive purposes here, the resurrection of our physical bodies to be united with our spiritual essence, soul essence, our, our um, immaterial ego, and uh, then to be totally glorified together with the Lord Jesus Christ uh, to abide with him, the Father, the Spirit, the holy angels in a new heaven and a new earth, a, a new glorious uh, final state of uh, beatific beauty uh, for all eternity. It is really that simple. And if you can remember those verses that you quoted and uh, don't deviate from them, though you may be free to study all the alternative views, uh, you will discover that uh, the reason for which the believer rejoices in death is because not because of just some type of ethereal idea about the future, but because of the radical finality an absolute accomplishment of what Christ did on the cross and his subsequent resurrection affording us as a reward that where the head is, the body will be immediately. The body does not remain separate from the head upon death, hanging out in some interim space, whether that be purgatory or a place of uh, sort of uh, transition for thousands and thousands of years. We are immediately in the presence of the Lord with the Lord Jesus. Listen, I'm way overdue. Thank you for the call. Great call. Lines are full. We're going to take a break. We got an opportunity to come back. We will actually see what we can do. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 